Awesome conversation. I'm glad you all are here. I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are new this morning. Welcome to Foundations. Look forward to getting to know you all and for you all getting to know each other. Generally, when I start the class, I'll have just a little question up here to ponder, um, just to kind of get your mind thinking about the topic that we'll be covering for the day. Today's question is, how might you respond to someone who said to you, it's arrogant to say that you know you have eternal life, that you know that you are saved. What would you say to someone like that? Take a moment to ponder it. I'm going to get myself a cup of coffee, um, and then we'll we'll get started. Well, again, I want to say welcome um, to Foundations. I'm Andrew O'Dell. I've met some of you, most of you, I think, and I look forward to getting to know you all in a personal way as we walk through um, Foundations together over these next few Sundays. We always, of course, begin with a prayer. And those of you who are new to the Anglican tradition, sometimes when we pray, we just pray from the heart. You know, whatever comes to our heart, we lift it up to the Lord. But sometimes when we pray, we take a prayer that was written by one of our brothers and sisters from long ago, um, a saint from before, and we bring that prayer forward and we use that to shape our thoughts and to get our hearts um, ready before God. And I'm going to do that today. I'm going to pray one of those sorts of prayers. Um, It's a prayer, if you'd like to see it, it's on page three of your field guide. It's a wonderful prayer and it ties into what we're talking about today. Um, It's down there at the middle for growth in the knowledge and love of God the Father. So with that, um, let us bow our heads in prayer. Almighty God, who so loved the world that you gave your only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of love by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, that we may delight in the inheritance that is ours as your sons and daughters and live to your praise and glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. There's one phrase in that prayer that's going to be key today. And it's that little phrase near the end that says that we may delight in the inheritance that is ours. That's really what we're going to be talking about today. Now, last week, we pressed into a question that on the face of it would seem like it's a question that would have an obvious answer. What's the heart of Christianity? But as we began to address the question, we realized that um, actually different people have different answers to those questions, and those answers don't always agree. We began by talking about what Christianity is not. We talked about how Christianity is not a code of conduct, that is uh, morality, right and wrong, that it's not a creed of beliefs. Um, that it's not a cult, not cult in the modern sense, like the Branch Davidians, but cult in the classical sense, like a a system of uh, religious worship. So Christianity is not at its heart about being a good person or believing the right things or going to church as important as all those things are. And so what is it? Who is willing to, 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 to fill in the sentence? The heart of Christianity is... Brave souls? Knowing that you're loved by God. And who is at the heart? What is, if we were to say that there's one Jesus, the heart of Christianity is a person. It's the person of Jesus. It's not a system of any kind. Technically, you could almost say it's not even a religion on, on some level because the heart of it is a person, Jesus Christ. And therefore, to be a Christian is to learn how to have a personal relationship with that man. 
Being a Christian means uh, knowing Christ as friend, trusting him as Savior, and obeying him as Lord. So, that's the heart of Christianity. And I'll be asking you that uh, most weeks. I'll say, what is the heart of Christianity? I want you to say, the heart of Christianity is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And to be a Christian is to know him, to trust him, and to obey him. Well, we ran out of time last week, so I encourage you all um, who are here to maybe take some time and read the tail end of chapter one in your book. Um, For those of you who took it, I also sent you a scan of the book. Um, That's our optional book. You don't have to take it with you, but if you'd like to, you can. There are copies out there. Um, our book, Christian Basics. But the reason I encouraged you is because the end of chapter one, John Stott finally gets to the point of saying, well, okay, this is what Christianity is. This is what Christianity means. How do I do it? Because after all, Christianity isn't about knowing something. It's about doing something. And John Stott said, I'm going to give you the ABCDs of becoming a Christian. And he he said that there are four steps to becoming um, a Christian. We have something to admit, something to believe, something to consider, and finally, something to do. And friends, I just want to say that if it was news to you last week, if last week was the first time that you heard that the heart of Christianity is a person, then I hope that either you have already read that little section or that you will take the time to do it. Because after all, again, Christianity is not simply about knowing. It's about stepping into a relationship. It's about becoming... um, a son, a daughter of God. Well, today we are going to press into another question. And it's the question, how can I be sure that I'm a Christian? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Come on, Andrew. Doesn't anybody basically know whether or not they're a Christian? I mean, they can tell you, they can check on the box, Christian, yes or no. Don't they know? Well, friends, I'm here to tell you I've been in ordained ministry for close to 20 years. And what I've come to learn is that churches are full of people who don't really have a clear answer to that question. And I have learned this by doing a lot of funerals. Now, you didn't come here Sunday morning to hear something morbid like about a funeral, but I'll tell you, funerals have a way of bringing things into focus. Funerals, when we are facing death, our own death or the death of someone we love, all of a sudden, all these Beliefs that have been kind of down underneath that we really haven't thought about begin to bubble up to the surface um, when, when death draws near. And I have listened as many a widow has said something along these lines. Pastor, my wife, she was an angel. I just hope I can be good enough to be with her after I die in heaven. Now let me pause and ask you, When a person says something like that, what are they trusting in? What's that? Deeds. What? Someone else? Themselves. Their good works. Pastor, I just hope I can be good enough to be with her in heaven. Well, I'm here to tell you that such a person has not yet heard the good news that we're going to talk about today. Such a person does not yet know that they are a Christian. Such a person is in the same spot that John Wesley or the Apostle Paul were in that we talked about last week before their conversion. But when a person receives the good news of the gospel, that Christianity is Christ, well, that good news brings with it a blessed assurance. 
So that a Christian will never feel led to say, I only hope I can be good enough to join my wife in heaven. No, whatever might be uncertain about his life, the one thing he won't have to worry about um, is his standing before God, our standing before God. Life gives us lots to worry about, but that's the one thing we don't need to worry about. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because friends, God wants to give us a blessed assurance. There's that old hymn. I think we may have actually sung it last week. <clears throat> some people say, that's an old Baptist hymn. Well, I love this old Baptist hymn. Sometimes we sing some old Baptist hymns here at St. Philip's, but it's that hymn, Blessed Assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, so on and so on. Blessed assurance. That's what God wants you to have, a blessed assurance. And friends, when you read the New Testament, you will find a spirit of quiet, joyful confidence throughout. I'm going to put some verses up here on the screen. Don't worry about turning to them. Just allow them to wash over you as, uh, as I read them to you. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.12. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Blessed assurance. 1 John 5.19. We know that we are children of God. Blessed assurance. 1 John, uh, excuse me, uh, yes, 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I think I had the wrong reference. The other one was 1 John 5.19. Blessed assurance. And notice, friends, that, that as John describes eternal life here, he's not talking about something in the future. This is not eternal life in the by and by, great by and by, after you die. No, what does he say? He say, that, oopsie, go back. Oh, for Pete's sake, excuse me, guys. That you have eternal life. Eternal life is something that we are meant to have and enjoy here and now. Eternal life is the life that's given to us when we realize that Jesus has saved us from the consequence of our sin, from the sting of death, and that he enables us to have a relationship with God in this life. Uh, Jesus said this in the gospel according to John. He said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So again, eternal life is something you are meant to enjoy and have today in this life. Now, before we talk about how we can have this assurance that the New Testament describes, I want to give you four reasons why this is so incredibly important. First of all, because spiritual valleys are going to come. Every Christian is going to walk through seasons of doubt and discouragement. I walk through seasons of doubt and discouragement. You may be on fire today, but there are going to be times when you're going to need the content of today's lesson to carry you through. Secondly, God intends for us to have and enjoy eternal life now. It's like that opening prayer that I prayed, that little phrase where we prayed that we may delight in the inheritance that is ours. That we may delight. God wants you to delight in it. 
One Christmas, my grandfather made us a little wooden go-kart. Now, this is not the actual go-kart, but it's pretty similar um, to the one that you see here. And I can remember my first cousin coming into the house and saying, Andrew, Andrew, come outside. Come see what granddad made for us for Christmas. Now, this cousin of mine, he was older. He was a little bit of a prankster. Uh, sometimes he and my older brother would kind of gang up on the younger cousins. And so I suspected that he was pulling my leg. I thought maybe he had gone to the neighbor's yard, you know, and grabbed this go-kart and, and was going to try to trick us into thinking that this go-kart was really ours. I mean, that was just the sort of thing that he would often do to us. And so even when I went out into the driveway and I saw my older brother riding around this wooden go-kart, having the time of his life, I was still hesitant. I thought, this, this is too good to be true. There's no way Granddad made that for us. So my younger brother and I, we ran back into the house and we said, Granddad, Granddad, did you really make those go-karts? He said, yes, I did. I made those for you for Christmas. And it was only when we were convinced that those go-karts were ours that we could get on them and enjoy them. Well, the same is true for the blessed assurance that God wants to give you. You can't enjoy eternal life if you don't know that you have it. So that's the second reason that this is so important, why Christian assurance is so important. Thirdly, this assurance is important because it promises us a peace of mind. Uh, Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi. He said, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that's not a promise that we won't face anxiety. We are living now in a time of great anxiety. We will face anxiety. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But what God wants for us is to be able to return to that place of blessed assurance where we can come to a place where he sets us free from the anxieties because we can trust that we are God's children. The only way to have this peace, my friends, is to have assurance that God has forgiven us. That's the only way. Now, I will tell you, there is an enemy, a spiritual adversary. Um, the Bible refers to him as the devil or as Satan. And his primary goal is to whisper doubt and despair into your ear. He will whisper to you and he will say to you at times, God could never forgive you. He may even try to bring something up from your past. And you need to be able to say, no, God has forgiven me and he will forgive me because he has promised me this. So it's important if we're going to have that peace to be able to, to know this blessed assurance. Fourthly, Christian assurance, um, it allows us to help other people. And, and after all, part of the Christian life is, is helping others along. And, and that's what God calls us to do. How can we show someone else if we don't know the way ourselves? So these are the four reasons that Christian assurance is so important. Now I want to pause here. There might be some who say, and I've certainly run into uh, persons who've said something like this before, you know, isn't it a little bit arrogant to say that you know that uh, you have God's forgiveness? This was the question I asked you at the beginning of, of, of class. I mean, isn't that a little bit, you know, oh, I'm one of God's children. But friends, if you just stop and think about it, the assurance that we're talking about, it's not arrogant at all. In fact, it's the opposite. Because our assurance comes from admitting that we cannot save ourselves, that we're not good enough for God, that we are sinners in needs of, need of God's forgiveness. So this assurance is not based on us or anything we've done. It's based on the grace of God. 
So it's not arrogant at all. So, again, this is why this Christian assurance is so important. But where on earth do we go to find it? Well, sadly, people often look in the wrong place for the assurance that God wants to give us. Um, For seven years, I pastored in a little congregation in a small town, Darlington, South Carolina. It's one of those kind of quintessential southern county seat little towns, mostly a farming community, a little bit of light industry. And each and every year, we would, as part of St. Matthew's Church, we would have a good old-fashioned Easter egg hunt. Now, I'm not talking about one of these newfangled Easter egg hunts with the plastic eggs and the candy inside. I'm talking about a real Easter egg hunt where members of the parish would take a dozen eggs, they'd boil them, they'd decorate them, and then they would be hidden out on this farm, uh, the farm of old Mr. Williamson, Mr. Ben Williamson, out in the country. And that's Mr. Williamson there in the picture. And every year the kids would gather around and Mr. Williamson would say to them, now children, the eggs you're looking for are all over here. There aren't any eggs over here. Now, he told them that first because it was true, but also because over here was a very dangerous highway. And even though we were out in the country, it was one of those you know, country highways where people just tear down the road. We didn't want children near the road, so we didn't put the eggs over there. But invariably, where do the children go look? Over there. And and we can sometimes do the same thing when it comes to to finding that, looking for that assurance that God loves us. Because our our default, the default of the human heart really is to go back to, to what that widower that I mentioned there in the beginning was doing. To say, I hope I can be good enough to earn God's favor. So where do we find this assurance? Well, our assurance is formed by a three-legged tripod consisting of the work of God the Son, the Word of God the Father, and the witness of God the Holy Spirit. Let's begin with the work of God the Son. That is, the work of salvation which Jesus accomplished when he died for us on the cross. Now again, going back to this widow that I mentioned in the beginning, let's just review. Um, when, when a person says, I hope I, I have lived a good enough life to be with my wife after I die again, what is that person putting their faith in? Themselves, their works, their good deeds. Yes, all, all those things. But friends, we should not place our hope there. Because if the object of my faith is me, In other words, if I'm counting on myself to be a good enough boy and to live a good enough life in order to be with God forever, there's no peace of mind in that. Because on any given day, where am I on God's scale of justice? Now, those of you who have grown in your faith and have spent time in the Word of God, you actually know the answer to that question. You know that... that None of us is clean before God. We used a, an example last week where a little square, you know, a little square that looks white on its own, um, but next to the goodness of God really looks gray and kind of dirty. And, and that's how all of us are. Filthy rags, as God's word puts it. But if on the other hand, we put our faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, if our salvation depends on him, then we can have peace. Because we no longer have to worry about, have I been good enough? Have I been kind enough? It's like another old Baptist hymn puts it. 
hope I can pick the right key. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but holy trust on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And the reason that my works are sinking sand is because they're not done till I die. Who knows what terrible things we might do under pressure. But Christ is the solid rock. Christ is the solid rock. And that's because his work is already accomplished. Um, if you brought your Bible, open it with me to John 19:28. If you use in the classroom Bible, it's page 906. Let's look at what Jesus himself had to say about this. We are at the tail end of the gospel according to John. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And let's let's read um, his final words there on the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. Our salvation was worked on the cross, was completed on the cross. There's nothing that needs to be added to it. There's no good work that needs to be piled on top of it. It's finished. It's done. It's complete. So we look to the finished work of God the Son, the cross of Christ, for our blessed assurance. Those of you who, um, if you wear a cross as jewelry, I want to encourage you when you look at that cross to say, it is finished. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. I have nothing to add to it. So we look to the work of the Son. We also look to the word of God the Father for our blessed assurance. It may be that some of you may be thinking to yourselves, well, how do we know if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and his crucifixion that God will forgive us and, and have, will have new life? I mean, you say that, I, I hear you proclaiming that to us, but how do we know? And the answer is we know because God's word tells us that it's true. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John. Now, um, something uh, that can be confusing, there are several books with a title John in them. The beginning of the New Testament are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John also wrote some letters that show up near the end of the Bible. And this is, so if you see a number in front, one, two, three, John, that's one of those letters that he wrote. And we're going to look at one of these letters um, on page 1023 if you're using the classroom Bible. 1 John 5, 9 through 12. John wrote this. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. 
For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And my friends, this passage is just the tip of the iceberg. God's word is full of promises to his people. And in fact, some of these um, promises I've recorded, if you'll turn to page five in your field guide, and and what I'm going to ask you to do for your homework, you say, homework, wait, pull the needle off the record. I didn't know we had homework, just a little bit of homework. I want you to take some quiet time over the next week by yourself and just read through these, these promises from God's word, and maybe circle one or two that stands out to you, that's particularly encouraging to you. But God's word is full of promises. So where do we look uh, for the blessed assurance? We look to the word of God the Father. Now, before I move on to the third uh, point of the tripod, I I do want to bring something up. You know, I I gave the illustration of the Easter egg hunt and the children looking in the wrong place. And and this is where we need to talk about one of those areas that we can sometimes look. I want to talk about the role of our feelings in our blessed assurance. When it comes to your standing with God, my friends, I want to encourage you not to turn to your feelings. Don't ignore them. They're important. Our emotions are part of our humanity. They're a gift from God. God himself has emotions. But when it comes to our assurance, our feelings can actually be kind of counterproductive. And this is difficult for us to hear in our culture because our culture doesn't typically ask the question, is it true, is it right? The primary question our culture asks is, how does it make you feel? So in our culture, feelings are are lifted up on, on a pedestal, if you will. But the problem with this is that feelings come and go. I don't know about you all. My wife can attest there at the back, but I I eat the wrong thing for breakfast. I can be uh, crabby and down the dumps. Our feelings are influenced by how much is in our bank account, uh, influenced by whether Christmas is ahead of us or behind us. I always get a little case of the post-Christmas blues. I don't know about you. Sometimes we'll wake up feeling down the dumps and we don't even know why we're blue. Maybe we ate something the night before. Who knows? My point is that feelings come and go. But the love of God does not. The love of God is constant. So find your assurance again in his word. Some days you are going to feel his love. Hallelujah. Give thanks for those days. Some days you will not. But what God's word tells us is that God loves us at all times and that he will never forsake us. Jesus himself said, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress in the 17th century. Pilgrim's Progress is arguably the first novel written in the English language, and it's an allegory about the Christian life, about about the journey that you and I are on as Christians. 
And in one of the scenes of the book, um, the the main character, whose name is Christian, um, he learns an important lesson about finding assurance in the word of God the Father. Christian and his companion, Hopeful, find themselves imprisoned in Doubting Castle, held captive by the cruel and pitiless giant, Despair. Maybe some of you have felt captive by despair sometimes. Well, days pass. There seemed to be no possibility of escape. Until one night, as they prayed, Christian made a wonderful discovery, which he immediately shared with his friend Hopeful. What a fool am I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk in liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. And using this key, the door flew open with ease and the prisoners escaped with speed. Friends, look to the promises of God's word for your blessed assurance. A blessed assurance that can set you free in seasons of doubt and despair. Now, I want to say one more thing about the word of God the Father. Uh, God created us. He knit us all together in our mother's wombs. God knows that in addition to being thinking, feeling beings, we're also physical beings. God gave us our five senses. Let's see if I can remember them. You have sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. He made us that way. And so knowing this about us, knowing that we are in addition to being thinking, feeling creatures, that we're also physical creatures, our Lord Jesus Christ took the promises of God and he wrapped them up into two tangible gifts that we in our church refer to as sacraments. You can think of sacraments as tangible wrappers around the promises of God. Now, the classic definition of a sacrament, and we'll talk more about sacraments later in the course, I just want, but I want to bring these up in the context of, of trusting in the word of God for our blessed assurance. The classic definition, a sacrament is an outward and visible sign. Okay, So this is something that I can engage, we can engage with our five senses. An outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. God gives us the sign as a means whereby we receive that grace and as a tangible, here it is, assurance that we do in fact receive it. So the sacraments are a ministry from God to us. Now, Jesus gave us two sacraments. Does anyone happen to know what they are? I'm sorry? Holy Communion, that's the one, yep. Also known as Great Thanksgiving, Lord's Supper, Holy Eucharist, all the same thing. And and what's the other one? Where does it all begin? Baptism, there you go, very good, baptism. Those are the two sacraments given to us by our Lord. Now, there are also uh, sacramental rites of the church that we'll talk about later, but these are the two sacraments given to us by our Lord. And they were given to assure us. So I want to encourage you all, anytime there is a baptism in the church, I want you to take that as an an opportunity to be encouraged. When that water is being poured over that child or the adult, whoever is being baptized, I want you to think to yourself, yes, indeed, the blood of Christ covered over me and washed me clean. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God loves that person being baptized. God loves me. Thanks be to God. 
Listen to the words that are being spoken and claim those promises for yourself. Likewise, Jesus gave us Holy Communion to be a weekly source of spiritual nourishment. Now, in our particular tradition, different uh, Anglican churches have their own pattern. Our pattern here is at the 815 service, we always have Holy Communion. Um, at the later service, we alternate between Holy Communion and morning prayer, which is another service part of our tradition, which is more just prayer, praise, uh, and preaching. And again, we'll talk more about that in detail. But when it comes to communion, um, communion is a gift from Jesus to reinforce that blessed assurance. After every communion service, we pray the same prayer. We pray, Almighty and ever-living God, we most heartily thank Thee for that Thou dost feed us in these holy mysteries with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of Thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And here it is. And dost assure us thereby. Blessed assurance. Of what? Of thy favor and goodness towards us. And that we are very members incorporated in the mystical body of thy son. The blessed company of all faithful people. And are also heirs through hope of thy everlasting kingdom. So friends, when you come to the table, come to be encouraged. Um, When when you come to receive the bread and in time uh, the wine... Um, be reminded that it is the body and blood of Christ that has washed you clean and has made it so that you can come boldly before the throne of God. But also be reminded, because really communion is, is is a dual symbol. It's a reminder of what Jesus wrought on the cross, but it also looks forward to the future because the Bible tells us that the end of time, all this is going to end with a great wedding banquet the marriage supper of the Lamb. And friends, you are invited. And there at the table, there is going to be a place with your name on it at that great festival, at that great celebration. So when you get that little teeny wafer, let that wafer be a reminder of the forgiveness of God purchased for you on the cross, but also of the fact that there is a place at God's table for you at the end of time. So, The sacraments are tangible wrappers around the word of God the Father. And thirdly, uh, finally, we look to the witness of God the Holy Spirit for our blessed assurance. And the witness of the Holy Spirit comes in two forms. It comes in an internal form and an external form. We're going to talk about both. Let's start with the internal witness. Now, I just spent a few moments encouraging you all um, to be careful about not looking to our feelings for our blessed assurance, because our feelings come and go. They're up and down. Uh, when I think about my own feelings, I, you know, it's sort of like this graph of the stock market. It's up and down and up and down. Some of us mirror are a little more up and down than others. <laughs> and while it's true that we don't want to look to our feelings for our blessed assurance, because sometimes we will feel loved by God, sometimes we will not feel that love, even though God's love is constant. What is true is that over time, over the long haul, the Holy Spirit does begin to build in us a strengthening assurance. So if you, again, sort of using this graph, this stock market is is, uh, the Christian walk, Early on, you kind of have some ups and downs, but you may not be so sure. Is God really trustworthy? 
And, and you look at those big dips and those are the big upsets in life. Uh, maybe you lose someone you love. Maybe you have a relationship that doesn't work out. Uh, maybe you didn't get the job you wanted. Maybe something happened at school. Who, who knows? Life is full of ups and downs. But what you discover over time is that God is faithful. God carries you through those times of doubt and disappointment so that over time, as you build that experience with the Lord, walking with him, over time, the the Holy Spirit will begin to build in you a growing assurance that God is trustworthy and true. Now, something I have learned in in my ministry is that that sometimes young Christians can get it in their minds um, that, and I don't know where this comes from, but, but that that when they become a Christian, that somehow God promises them that they will not have upset, that they will not have disappointment. And of course, Jesus said nothing of the kind. In fact, Jesus told us the opposite. He said, in this life, you will have troubles. God doesn't promise us that we won't have troubles. What he promises us is that he will be with us, that he will carry us through. And as you experience this over the course of your life, the Holy Spirit will begin to build that inner assurance within you. So that's the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. But there's also an external witness. That is, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives will begin to shape our character and conduct. will begin to change over time. Now, we established last week that our behavior, that is, being a good person, is not the heart of the Christian faith. But it is the fruit It's what comes out of it, the Christian faith. Turn with me, if you would, to Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you're using the the, um, classroom Bible, it's page 975. And Paul is going to talk about this, this outward witness of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, those of you who are observant, more observant than I am, I'm not particularly observant, and those of you maybe who are um, <clears throat> English, you know, English nerds, people who really, um, who really notice things about the language, notice that the fruit is singular. Paul doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so on. He said the fruit of the Spirit is Now, I know this is a stretch. Anybody want to hazard a guess as to why that is? Why is it singular? Any guesses? Okay, you're not brave enough yet. I promise you in week four, you all will be brave enough to try to answer the question. The Holy Spirit brings one fruit. It is the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, every single one of us in this room, we could, we could go up to this, um, go up to the screen and probably circle 
the one or two that are really difficult for us and the one or two that are maybe a little easier for us. And so we might think, well, I, I'm just a, I'm a, um, I'm a joy, peace person, you know? I'm just not really a, a goodness, faithfulness kind of person. That's, you know, somebody else. But that, that's not how the fruit of the Spirit works. It's one fruit. The Holy Spirit is cultivating all of these things within the children of God. One fruit. And while it's true that, again, all of us could probably identify areas here where we struggle, the reality is when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, the you of five years from now will have a little more of this fruit than the you of today. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. If we imagine the human heart is like a garden, if the heart of the human heart is full of noxious weeds, then we can be pretty sure that the divine gardener is not at work because the divine gardener is there pulling weeds. But the fruit of holiness, if it's growing over time, then we can know that the Holy Spirit is at work because that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the fruit that the Holy Spirit cultivates. So that when the Holy Spirit is at work over time, we have both the internal witness of the Spirit, again, in that increasing assurance as we grow in our walk with God, but then also there's the outer expression of the work of the witness of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit cultivates that fruit in our lives. I think I'll stop there. It's about time for us to close. I want to close with a prayer. I'm so glad y'all are here. I'm so glad y'all are along for this adventure. Um, This is one of the favorite parts of my ministry is getting to spend this time with you all. So let me um, just close with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your blessed assurance that of all all of life that is uh, difficult, of all of life that is confusing, of all of life that is um, stressful and anxiety-provoking, the one thing we don't have to worry about, the one thing we don't have to wonder about is our standing with you. Not based on anything we've done, but based on your glorious provision through your son, Jesus Christ. And you have put your Holy Spirit within each of our hearts. And so we ask, Lord God, in the name of your son, Jesus, that that your Holy Spirit would continue to nurture both that inward witness of assurance, but Lord, yes, also that outward witness of the fruit So that as we go our separate ways, wherever we go, to work, to school, in our homes, Lord, we pray that your abundant Holy Spirit fruit would be spilling forth from our lives. That we might be a blessing to all we encounter this week. And bring us back again safely next week, we pray. For indeed, we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all, and I'll see you all next week.